Throughout the Bible and throughout your Bible studies, you may have read the word dispensation many times and have heard perhaps many things spoken or opinions given about dispensation. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about it on a level that I trust you have never heard. So welcome on this Wednesday to All Things Apostolic. I'm Dr. Nathaniel Wilson. I enjoy being with you every day, Monday through Thursday, each week. And today we are looking at a really important subject. And uh, we're talking about just introducing you a little better to the subject of dispensations and uh, dispensationalism, uh, which is a theological system by which uh, you can see the movements, the epical movements in the Bible, um, and see what God is accomplishing in the earth. Um, in the time that we are in, there is uh, many people who are wondering if dispensations are a valid and good way to interpret Scripture or to break down Scripture or to organize in the human mind Scripture as a system uh, and there are others that offer alternatives uh, that may be even more questionable. So we're talking about this on purpose because this is also something that is important to the apostolic movement and is uh, the apostolic movement. There is encroachment upon uh, long-held ideas by the majority of apostolics as to whether they are valid or not. The encroachment is not necessarily a bad thing because it kind of forces us to take closer looks at things that have long been held and espoused. And I think that this is healthy in that uh, there are things that have been held and espoused that are questionable on this subject of dispensations and dispensationalism. Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, dispensations, they are a theological method or, or system of identifying uh, great epical progressive shifts in God's dealing with man throughout biblical history. These shifts are not hard to find, and we will look at that. Um, a dispensation, we would say, is how God dealt with man for a particular period of time as to his relationship to God and as to the great and grand themes of the Bible of sin and salvation. So when we talk about this, difficult, uh, sometimes dispensations are not difficult to recognize, and they have been recognized not only in Scripture, uh, but also in early church history up until the present. Other than the Bible, this is, this is just a truism. Other than the Bible, no book in the world outlines a real divine plan for humankind or a real divine plan and purpose for the earth and for the universe. Only the Bible pulls back the cover and reveals the history of man and reveals that it has a meaning. There's purpose to history. This breathtaking plan is the source from which um, a, 
an unbreakable permanent connection between earth and the heavens is revealed. And it's also uh, the source uh, that the human race is revealed as possessing intrinsic dignity as above all other earth creation, that it is sacred, something that we uh, do not have permission to do certain things with, and is imbued with authentic purpose. Three very important things right there for us to understand is that um, that the race has intrinsic dignity, it is sacred, and it is imbued with authentic purpose. Further, Dispensations gives us a plan for the ages and shows us that it is progressive. This is obvious in Scripture that the revelation of God's purposes in the earth are progressively unveiled or revealed in Scripture. For example, the apostle explains at one point that the law was a schoolmaster leading up to Christ. This clearly indicates a progression, a planning, a process. In addition, there's scores of Old Testament scriptures which prophesy of the coming Messiah. All of these anticipate the fulfillment of a preconceived plan. And so, and we could go through, there, there are many of those scriptures that we could go back and go through, but I don't think it's necessary because you already know that, or if you don't, you should, you do now. So uh, planning is also evident and timing is also evident in statements such as in Galatians, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of the time was come. Galatians 4.4, 4. God sent forth his son. So there was a fullness of time. There was a period before that God was dealing in a certain way until certain things were fulfilled. And then there is, then that way it realigns and, it, and it's a little bit different. It takes all that was before it and it fulfills it or adds to it or makes it complete until you see this. So in itself, uh, a deeply organic dispensational scripture is Galatians 4 and 4. Also, many scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, make prophetic observations about the future. It is this a movement, uh, it is thus a movement towards culmination. There's a culmination, there's a culminating thing that God is doing here, which gives scripture its prophetic character. There would be no such thing as prophecy or, or, or a prophetic character of Scripture if there was not a future and if it was not moving towards that. So these are important things to understand. And as it moves towards that, there are progressive shifts in how God works with mankind. This is at the base of the idea of dispensations. And so plain statements as well as divine actions also clearly indicate that God is um, God is the architect and the overseer of the actualization of this plan. The universe, including earth, is the enterprise. It is the business that God is running, and it's administered by him. The plan is not fulfilled in a single special instant or act of some kind. The fulfillment is rather, again, progressive. The whole 
plan revolves around God's family on earth. Important to remember those words. The whole plan revolves around God's family on earth and their purpose and their ministry and their destiny. And each succeeding movement can be identified as an adjustment in how God is ruling the household at any given time. So God's work on earth has always been identified with a household. Now that's something many people overlook. God's work on earth has always been identified as a household, a family structure. And with his people on earth, they're identified as his children. In in Bible days, this wouldn't have been strange at all because most businesses were family businesses. And what is going on on earth with God and is God's people and God's work is his family business. The father in those Old Testament and even New Testament businesses was responsible for the health and the sustained profitability of the enterprise. All the family and the servants were involved in the work of managing the family business. The children were, when they were young, were under tutors with, they had no authority in the household until the time appointed of the father. The Bible talks about this again in Galatians chapter 4. When the oldest son, for example, came of age, a notice would be sent out of a ceremony, a ritual, if you please, which was going to take place at the home where this oldest son had come to a certain age. This was a ceremony in which the father declared the eldest son uh, to, from this time forward, have all authority over the household just as the father did. His word was the same as the word of the father. And in this manner, the household was never without guidance and management. So this pattern, you need to remember, when you think of nations, when you think of all of this, this is the pattern that God uses, the pattern of a family household. In fact, um, he, he chose Israel. And he said, there is no nation like Israel. No other nation have I revealed my law to. And have I revealed my pattern, my things, my ways to. And this pattern of government by household is one of the most organic elements found in Scripture. That's an important thing to know, that the idea of a household, that's God's idea of governance, that the father was at the head of the household and that at some point it was transmitted to the eldest son. It begins deep in the Old Testament. It has never been changed and it carries all the way to the present, all the way through the gospels, all the way through the epistles, right down to the church in the world today. God administers the kingdom of God on earth as a family affair. And this scripture is very clear, Ephesians 3.15, which says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So this lets us know how deep this is ingrained in Scripture. Now, you can go back to the Old Testament, and someone may say, well, I don't find that in the Old Testament. But the truth is, of course you do. God chooses one man in Genesis chapter 12, as you know, named Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. 
and Abraham's family becomes God's nation. And Abraham is the father of the faithful, to use a scriptural phrase. And then when Abraham, uh, when his son Isaac gets old enough, he anoints Isaac as the leader of that family. He finds a bride for Isaac, and you can find all this in the book of Genesis. And then Isaac and his family, the, the generations that are following Abraham, that becomes the family of God. And then Isaac's son, Jacob. And then Jacob has, as you remember the story, 12 sons from which come the 12 tribes. And throughout the entire Old Testament, the story is about this family, the family of God in the Old Testament identified as Israel, which is Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And so you find this throughout the Old Testament, the idea of of, of household and of God administrating his household, managing his household, and giving stewardship, important words, of his household to his people. In the Gospels, you still find this pattern of, of government in the earth by household. I mean, one of the most famous stories in the Bible is, is the one that is perhaps most oft used and has so many things that are applicable to the human state, and that is the story that we obviously and often call the, the, the prodigal son. Think about that. The prodigal son is a story about a household, about a father who has two sons, and the youngest of them leaves, and you know the story, how he finally comes back, but it's all household-oriented. Now, it does talk about business, like a man planted a vineyard, but that's a household planting the vineyard and went into a far country. Jesus uses this, this household example to show how the household gets attacked from both within and without by people that are, um, that are seeking their own uh, profit rather than the profit of the, of the householder. And so you see these stories throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, in fact, there's probably no other, somebody ought to do a little study on this, there's probably no other story types in the parables of Jesus and in the stories of Jesus that are as numerous as are the ones about a household, about setting up the house, about administrating the house, about managing the house. And so this is the character of the Bible itself. And when you look at this, you, you see this in Scripture over and over and over, and, um, and it's not hard to see. When you get to the epistles, this still does not change. It's still the same picture. When you get to the terminology of the epistles is that God is our Father, and the term used for relationships horizontally between uh between men in the churches, brethren, brethren, father, family terms. Galatians 6 and 10 says, let us do good unto all. Notice this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we pretty well established, which is not difficult to do, obviously, that God's way of governance has been household. God's way of governance has been 
the father is the head of the house. And the household is where the enterprise, the business is located. That is in the household. So there is a New Testament Greek word which identifies this consistent method of defined family government. And that Greek word is oikonomia. Oikonomia. The word oikonomia means administration of a household. It's amazing. It's found four times in the epistles. And Paul uses it four times in the epistles. He says, uh, he uses this word. And then several times it's used in the gospels, okay? In the gospels, at least three times, it's used as stewardship. That is steward over the household of God. Stewardship, administration, management of the business of the household of God. When Paul uses it, the management of the household in a particular fashion, when, it, when this word is translated into English four times in the New Testament, it is the word dispensation. Dispensation. When you break down oikonomia, or you say oikonomos, oikol is in Greek, house. And nomos in Greek is law. And so when you say oikonomia, you are saying house law, governance of the house, management, administration, um, executing the, the, the rules and the order of the house. Uh, this is an oikonomic way of governance. In fact, when you say oikonomic, uh, it sounds like economic, and that is because the word economic in English comes from the word oikonomic in Greek, and it's, so it's it's management, and usually we think of it now as management of the economy. And so when you when you look at the word, the, all of all of this is primarily about establishing that when you look at the word um, dispensation, it is. There is no word more organic to Scripture than the word dispensation. It is not a foreign word being superimposed onto the Bible. The concept of management by household is not something foreign that is being superimposed upon the Bible. It is organic to the Bible in the deepest sense that this is how God manages his household. Now, what we are saying is is that throughout time, as the household progresses towards its culminating form that God has in mind, there is a progression, and you can identify these progressions in Scripture. And each of those progressions establishes something that is carried over to the next, adds to it, and you, and you come until you get to grace, which fulfills law, and the coming of the Spirit, which fulfills all of these things by a form of governance of the Father living inside of each family member through the Spirit. A brand new form of governance that Jeremiah 31, 33, and Hebrews chapter 8, you see this same thing. It's a new form of governance now that it's inside of us. That's why the church age is particularly important and special. There you have it. Tomorrow we'll talk some more about this and some of the things that have been posed as problems with the idea of 
dispensations.